Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn, broadcasting from London. And I'm Andrea Ballard from Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're sharpening our number two pencils and going back to school with some packable snacks, perfect for lunchboxes, a midday office break, or even a grab-and-go breakfast. And I'll fill you in on some differences I've already encountered in the British baking aisle in our Globetrotting Gourmet segment. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, one of the things I love about you is that you have a daughter who is one year ahead of mine, so I get to learn from all of your experience. Ah, uh, Yes, I, I know we planned that really well, didn't we? Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. You mentioned a few episodes ago that your daughter's morning task was to pack lunches for herself and her brother, which is one of the reasons she's so excited about her new school, where she'll be getting a hot lunch. Yeah. Um, But that made me realize, okay, my daughter is transitioning from elementary school to middle school, and I think this is a good time for her to start packing her own lunches. So I look to you, give me some tips, give me some advice, what's the best way to go about this? Well, one thing that both of my kids really liked that made this easier is they both love taking a thermos full of hot lunch. So something like a leftover soup or a stew or spaghetti and meat sauce or stir fry. There's so many like leftover things that we would have for dinner the night before that could easily go into a thermos. And so if your daughter likes that kind of food and would be, you know, eager to have a leftover, um, what I suggest, we just had like the... I think it was probably like one, one and a half cup size thermos, not like the big kind of thing you think of like on a construction site or something, right. but just not just kind the- of a petite little thermos. Yeah. And um, the important thing and something that worked really well, which was actually a tip from my sister-in-law, is to fill it with boiling water and just let it sit there for a minute or two before you fill it with your hot food. And that really helps ensure that the vessel stays hot and then it helps keep the food hot. And for all the times they did that, they never, ever complained, oh, you know, that was cold today. Or it was always, by the time it was lunchtime, it was still not just warm, but like it was still hot. So, Oh, that's a great tip. And that, you know, that uses up your leftover dinner that is sometimes a little more exciting than just like another sandwich or something also. So I highly recommend using up the leftovers that way. Okay. And another thing is that she made them the night before. A morning time in our house, and here is also no exception this school year, it just... I don't, I could wake up at like 3.30 in the morning and still like the last five minutes of the day, I'd be like, come on, come on. Nobody would have their shoes on and I would be in my sweatpants. Yes, yes. So having that chore just out of the way the night before really helped. And it also was just something that she incorporated into kind of like kitchen cleanup, the end of dinner, um, again, using those leftovers if she wanted to. And then just stowed it away. They could literally grab it and go in the morning. Um, okay. So those are those are my two biggest. Okay. Yeah. Do you think like, that your daughter will go for either of those? <laughs> uh, 
Well, I think she'll definitely be happy to do it the night before because she's okay. the kind of kid that likes to do things the night before. I mean, okay. she would sleep in her school clothes if I would allow her to um, so that she didn't have to get <laughs> dressed in the morning. And um, But I'm not sure. So I guess maybe I'm not understanding. So you've got the leftover. She wasn't putting it in the thermos the night before. Mm, that, that is true. Yeah. Okay. So if it was but a like hot the other lunch item, she was sort of packing those in like the oranges or the whatever, the cheese sticks, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And a drink, like, you know, napkins, any kind of things okay. like that. Um, one thing that I always did, um, I guess I won't have to do that here. Um, just I like to have some fun, like seasonal napkins. I was I was always on the hunt for those. Those oh, are okay. just like a fun little thing. They always seem to enjoy that too. Um, pumpkins or whatever, Easter bunnies. Um, yes. So if it was a hot, hot thing, she would be doing that in the morning. That's okay. true. Okay. 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 Well, I think the hot thing is going to be a big hit because um, the ham and cheese sandwich that has carried her through every day for the last five years of school, I think, has finally started to wane. Yes. So (laughs) it was actually turkey and cheese was my son's. So yeah. (laughs) How many days in a row do you want to eat this? Something that, something that I baked this week that um, was a big hit, though, switching mm-hmm. topics over to our baking, was I called them Marionberry Coconut Crumble Bars. Mm-hmm. And I got the idea back on episode 38, we were exploring the topic of what's the difference between a buckle and a crisp and a crumble. And That's I right. think it was, did you say it was a brown Betty that had the the crumble topping, both top and bottom? Yeah, the breadcrumb topping, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I immediately thought, I don't, I don't know that I want a breadcrumb topping on top and bottom, but I immediately thought I want the crumble on top and bottom because yeah. that is my, one of my favorite parts. So yes. yeah, I made a... I made a crumble, which I made a crumble that is kind of my typical crumble that I would put on top of a pie. So it had rolled oats, sugar, flour, um, some coconut flakes, and I threw in some melted butter. And so, you know, that gets all nice and, and gooey. And I pressed that down into a bottom of a pan. And then um, I took kind of the last of our season's fresh blueberry, or not blueberries, marionberries, and tossed those on top. And then I sprinkled on top of them just a little bit of cornstarch and sugar and lemon juice. So okay. I didn't even mix these things in a bowl. I just I just threw them on top of the crumble, and then I threw that on top of the marionberries. And then I put a little more crumble on top, but not enough to cover the berries. So you could still see the berries through it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I and then I baked that and when it was done I did a drizzle of powdered sugar on top and I tell you these things were so good. We had them uh, when some friends came over for dinner, and we all had two or three for dessert. And then I think I had one the next morning. And then when I went to try and find them, they were all gone. So I think we had all just eaten them at various times a day. I mean, is there anything better than like portable pie, which is kind of what you've made? <laughs> That's basically, you know? you're right. That is basically what it was. And in in my head, it was a little bit too kind of, you know, how that trend of deconstructing everything, you know, so a deconstructed salad where you have just, you know, the lettuce and then the tomatoes and the eggs. Yes, yes. I sort of felt that way when I was doing that middle layer. I was kind of like, this is all the stuff I would normally put in a pie filling. I would just usually mix it all up, you know. So here they call those kind of things a tray bake. 
And we're going to be talking about that all month, actually. So like a big batch, kind of a bar cookie type of a type of a thing. And so a tray being like your cookie tray, basically, um, cookie sheet, tray bake. So yeah, like a bar cookie. I Those love sound that. I've really never good. Heard of that. Mm-hmm. No. And you can have a tray bake like a um like a for dinner tonight. I had sausage and potatoes and that was like a tray bake, but it was dinner. So okay. it's kind of anything you make on this like big big sheet pan. So Right. So yeah. I call and I call that a sheet pan dinner. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I love it. Okay, yeah. thank you. Great. Great awesome. suggestions on packing, and now I learned a new term, so perfect. I, I know, and we're only like six minutes in, so, you know, I it's know. awesome. Um, <laughs> well, so speaking of that, listeners, if you can believe it, uh, we are just kicking off our September shows now, but we are looking ahead, and in November, Andrea and I uh, will celebrate one year of hosting Preheated, and that is incredible, incredible. We are working on some fun things for our anniversary month, and Wanted to just ask you if you have a favorite recipe out of all the recipes that we've talked about, challenged ourselves to, reviewed in the past year, if you can let us know and you can send us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or you could post on our Facebook wall if that is easier for you. Just let us know, you know, was it our happy people fudge back in December or was it the upside down apple pie perhaps that I struggled with but you didn't or... We've tackled so many great things, breakfast foods in April. Um, Let us know, and then we're going to compile those and and do some kind of big awards ceremony uh, in our anniversary month. So, yeah. I'm excited. All right. Well, so here's another entry in in potential favorites, and we are kicking off our Packable Snacks Month uh, back to school, you know, workday snacks, uh, grab-and-go type of things. And the first one up is our chocolate oatmeal peanut butter bars. This recipe comes from a website called A Dash of Sanity, which we could all use. <laughs> Perhaps I'll just speak for I'm, myself. <laughs> nope, nope, I'm in okay. on that one too. Okay. Um, I loved these bars when I read the recipe. They really appealed to me. Uh, one of my favorite biscuits, of course, the British call a cookie a biscuit. One of my favorite biscuits here is called a hobnob, and you can actually find them now in the States more readily, but it is a round cookie. A crisp cookie with a oatmeal type of base and then covered with either milk or dark chocolate, depending on which version you buy. And I always fool myself into thinking I'm getting just like a little bit of a healthy treat when I eat these because it's, <laughs> it's oatmeal. The oatmeal. And it's called technically a Peanut digestive butter. biscuit also. So um, when I saw this one, this has the addition of peanut butter, which in my book, you can never go wrong with the addition of peanut butter. Um, this would again be a big batch bake. This is a tray bake type of a type of a dish. You're making, um, a big batch here and I'm really excited to, to give these a go. Um, Andrea, what do you think about all these flavors together? Well, I already know my husband's going to be in heaven because he loves peanut butter and my daughter loves chocolate. So I'm thinking this is going to be a winner. Yes. And um, and then the idea that it's in, you know, the whole bacon in a tray. I mean, you know how I love my big batch baking. So I'm always looking for more opportunities to bake things in trays. So I'm super excited about trying this one. Um, when I looked at the recipe, I did notice her original recipe, she said a half a cup of caro syrup 
And then she said she had switched it, and she used half a cup agave nectar plus two tablespoons of honey. I'm not a big honey fan, um, but I think, and my but my husband thinks carol syrup is too sweet. So I think I'm going to try and use Lyle's golden syrup. That's one that I've been using in place of caro. So I'm going to go a little off recipe, big shocker, and um, see how it turns out. And I'm looking forward to trying it out. That's so funny because I'm really um, (laughs) pining for the half bottle of agave syrup that I left in Seattle from our um, chocolate ice cream we did in June that was the agave sweetened. And um, unfortunately, that didn't make it here. But I will also be using um, a golden syrup, which is a really big thing here. Uh, And we're going to talk more about that in a little minute. But um, yeah, these look like a good, moist, kind of chewy oatmeal base with uh, the peanut butter mixed into the chocolate layer uh, and then sliced up. So mm-hmm, I think it's I'm excited. Good. Yes. So listeners, remember, we will post a link to this recipe on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Pinterest and our Facebook pages. So if you'd like to bake along with us, we would love to see what you turn out in your own kitchens. We're going to turn our attention over to our globetrotting gourmet segment. Ever since Stefan's moved to London, we've gotten so many exciting new things that we get to hear about. And I'm just loving some of the things you're posting on your personal Facebook page that you're seeing in the London market. So I would love it if you'd give the listeners an update on what you've been finding. Yeah, it has been an education to say the least. Um, I lived here when I was in college. I did a study abroad program and um, my how things have changed um, <laughs> as to what I can uh, buy and afford and I'm interested in and all of that. So um, yeah. it's really fun. I wish, um, you know, the kids are just back to school and I am having, you know, some some free time for the first time that we've been here. And I'm just just planning to, to spend some of my outings uh, at the grocery store, just walking up and down the aisles and picking things up and turning them over. Um, but some things that, that I've already discovered that have been really interesting um, as far as baking goods go. So one of the biggest uh, things that you use in, in baking is um, butter. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, when there's got to be 20 butters to choose from. <laughs> oh, my gosh. On the shelf. As they say, I am spoiled for choice. This is a great phrase here. I'm spoiled for choice. And they, they're they from Ireland, Scotland, England. Uh, they are salted, unsalted. They are um, extra heavy. They are in small packages. They are in big packages. They are whipped. They are... Um, <laughs> And unfortunately, they are not in the two sticks of butter category. So I am having to do a lot of measuring and weighing um, to get okay. to get my measurements correct. I do mm-hmm. think, and we talked about this, um, I think in episode 39 or 40, uh, I was having trouble with my very favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe. And I'm still yeah. trying to get to the bottom of the butter fat. I am pretty sure that the butter fat in all the butters that are sold here is just higher. And that is just kind of skewing my recipes. It is mm-hmm. very dark yellow. I've bought a variety of brands from kind of the store brand up to mm-hmm. uh, like the Plugra. And yeah. they're all much darker yellow. Interesting. Uh, even the I've been buying salted butter and it's not as salty I've found as some of the salted that I would buy in the states. Um so that's you know a wonderful area of experimentation. So yes. <laughs> a little taste test on a baguette from time to time. Um another oh my gosh, how fun. Another really obviously um important component is eggs. 
And I was shocked to see that they don't refrigerate their eggs here. They are just on the baking aisle. And they also have a ton of choices. Um, they sell um, just individual eggs or three eggs, six eggs, 12 eggs. Uh, they have all kinds of organic or um, from different types of hens, the names of which don't mean much to me, but are are prominently displayed on the package. Uh, they have ostrich eggs just right in the market on the top shelf as well. And um, I find that just incredible and so fun. Um, and uh, the eggs here are fantastic. The uh, yolks are just that dark, dark yellow. And I know from some of my friends who raise chickens, that is an indication of just a really healthy chicken and a really good diet as well. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's been that's been wonderful. Um, and I have had have any issues with you know the eggs going bad or not feeling fresh, and they just they're just sitting there shelf stable. So, well, my dirty little secret here, um, back when I lived very close to you, we had a neighbor who y- you and I both know, and the husband's from New Zealand, and they had chickens, yes. and they often gave me their fresh eggs. And she had told me, I'm giving these to you. We have not refrigerated them, so you don't need to refrigerate them. Yeah. And um, I remember being like, what? <laughs> you know, but. But once I got used to it, it was like, oh, this is fabulous. And so my understanding, um, and I'm certainly no food scientist or or health expert here, so listeners, please uh, follow your own advice and inclination. But my understanding is if they've been refrigerated, you need to continue to refrigerate the eggs. But if they have not been refrigerated, you can continue to keep them unrefrigerated. Okay. All right. So I could just bring these home from the market and stick them on my counter. That's my understanding, and that's what I did with my neighbor's eggs, and that's what I've been doing with one of my neighbors here will give me eggs. She raises chickens as well, and I often say to her, you know, were these in the refrigerator? And if she says no, then I'll keep them out, and if she says yes, then I pop them back in the fridge. And keeping them out is actually really convenient for lots of things. Many people say that room temperature eggs are better kind of across the board for whatever you're going to bake. Yes. And sometimes we'll even see a recipe will say, you know, bring the bring the eggs up to room temperature. So, okay, well, if I'm running out of fridge space, I'm not I'm not quite there yet to leave them out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. But yeah. I'll get yeah, there. Just work, I'll get work, there. Work up to it. I know. Uh, another another two areas that I've just seen um, differences are in flour. And there's, again, a lot of choice in flour. There's something called a strong flour. That's what you would use for making bread. I haven't attempted bread making yet, but it will be coming down the pike. Um, regular flour is what I use on a, on a general basis, and that is like your all-purpose. Um, but then the other is a self-raising flour, and that is crazy here. They love it. And it's just, you know, we have that in the States. It's I think it's um, more popular maybe in, in Southern recipes. Every time I would read through like Southern Living, they would be self-raising flour, self-raising flour. Um, it's I, b- just, I believe if you read it here, it would be self-rising flour. Self- <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. So it's even yes. as the raising or the rising difference. Yes. Um, I do but have yeah, biscuits for sure. Yeah. I've seen, I remember growing up and using self-rising flour for things like biscuits or pancakes or yeah, things that you wanted to be kind of fluffy. Yeah. And it's already, so it's just flour that already has some leavening and I think a little salt in it. So it's easy to make your own also, but it's just kind of a time saver if, if you um, want to do that. So lots of my British cookbooks or British recipes I'm finding just call for that across the board. And then finally, sugar, both white and brown. Um, brown sugar here, I talked in a past episode two about just the very strong, strong taste of the molasses in their dark brown sugar. And I love that. I am just so over the moon about that. Um, it Dark brown sugar is called treacle. 
because that's what they call molasses as well. And it is just a dark, dark brown. It has just a wonderful, very robust molasses flavor. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I know. And and then the ongoing search for the cream cheese, I will continue to keep you updated. Uh, Yes. We should let our listeners know we um, were contemplating our future bakes and talking about cheesecakes. And that's when you ran into a bit of difficulty trying to source the, you know, what we think of, I think of Philadelphia brand cream cheese, just the block of cream cheese that you can get in your dairy aisle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that has been, that has been difficult to find. And in fact, I was um, out at a a tea room uh, with my kids the other day and uh, I had a, uh, smoked salmon sandwich and it had cream cheese definitely um, as the spread. And I, I called to the waitress and I said, you know, this is cream cheese. And she looked at me like, yes. And I was like, can you show me like, what do you use? I'm having such a hard time. And she actually was from Australia and she went to the, to the back and she got it. And it was the, that whipped cream cheese. Oh, and okay. I said, oh, you know, I thought so. And, you know, I'm not really having a hard time with the block. And she was like, you know, now that I think of it, we have that block stuff in Australia too. So um, we're not the only. So interesting. Yeah. So the, the key will be if I can use the softer whipped cream cheese in place where I would use block. So that's going to be the real experiments. But yeah. Um, and the only place I've done that substitution and we uh, actually profiled this recipe was when I make my Jenny's ice cream and she often uses uh, one or two tablespoons of cream cheese in her right. ice cream. So in that roasted strawberry buttermilk ice cream we made back in June or July, I used whipped cream cheese because that's what I keep in my house a lot because that's what my daughter likes on her bagels. And I thought I'm not going to buy a whole block of cream cheese just for this one to two tablespoons. So in that particular recipe, I didn't notice a difference, but I would be really nervous about it in a recipe that's calling for like a full block of cream cheese because, you know, the whipping is so much air incorporated into it. Like I feel like it would it would certainly not be a one-to-one ratio is my guess. Exactly. And and I think something like a cheesecake where you are wanting that to be firmer, not softer than whatever process is going into the whipping, like you say, um, could really affect it. So I'm still on the hunt for either a good substitution or for figuring out how to how to make what I have available work for me. So Anyway, those were just a few of your kind of more basic baking items, but there are so many more. I just, I just love it. I just, I, I just go into the grocery stores and I'm just wide eyed and looking all around. <laughs> it's so well, much fun. I don't know if it is one of those situations where it's only since you moved that I've been aware of the British section in the bakery aisle Mm -hmm. at my local grocery store, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or if it was, you know, if it was there all along and I just walked by it. But now I slow down and I look at it. And I think I even sent you a picture a few weeks ago of something (laughs) that honestly frightened me a bit. It was called salad cream. Salad cream. And it was in a container that I would say looked like squeezable mayonnaise. And it had kind of a yellowish tinge to it. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. those two words together, salad and cream. That is not appetizing to me. <laughs> and it's kind of my best guess. I've never actually eaten it, but I think it's like a Miracle Whip. So whatever Miracle Whip mm. is to mayonnaise, if you uh-huh. can, you know, you, you know the uh-huh. difference there. Um, okay. And yeah, I mean, my husband always says that we should open a salad bar restaurant in this city because they just kind of 
are still getting the hang of like a really like good tossed or green salad. When you order a salad in a restaurant, it will be more like a composed salad. That's what I would call it. Like a few lettuce leaves, but then mostly, you know, chunks of like carrot or cucumber, not. So yeah. So, so hubby thinks that we can make a killing starting the salad bar craze in this country. Um, I love it. Open up a place called like Chop Chop or something and just have a big salad bar and and hand people huge bowls when they walk it's in. It's just going to be the sizzler all over again. And <laughs> Hey, don't trash my sizzler. I'm not trashing sizzler. As you know, I, love- I had my 40th birthday at sizzler. So <laughs> There's just something about a salad bar that transports me back to my childhood Absolutely. and I – I love it so much. One other quick question that falls under the globetrotting gourmet for you is I notice you're having tea a lot. And I was curious, what time of day do you eat tea? Is it mostly dessert or is it also savory items? And is it meant to be a, a, a snack or in place of dinner? Or give give me a quick tea lowdown if you don't mind. Oh, this is so great. And um. There is many answers to your question. Um, Personally, okay, so you can have tea. Some restaurants will have it kind of, you know, from about noon on. um, And you can have what is a classic afternoon tea. And that would be a mix of like those sandwiches I was talking about, like a um, smoked salmon sandwich, maybe a little chicken salad, um, prawn salad. They call both of those um, like chicken mayonnaise, prawn mayonnaise, um, you know, a cheese and cheese and pickle sandwich and then you would also have like a, your scones and your clotted cream and your your jam and then you would have small but um, a few you know like a small brownie a small cupcake a little petty four type of thing so that that kind of falls in your like classic afternoon tea but you can also have something called a cream tea which is just like the scone and the cream and the jam personally because I'm really sensitive to caffeine. If I have a pot of black tea at like four in the afternoon, which is kind of your classic time for for stopping and having tea, um, I will be up all night. And so you can get a decaf tea, of course. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, So often what I will do is do like a later lunch. And so like a one, one thirty, and then get the the version that has the sandwiches with it. And it's it's okay. very filling. You know, it's you think it, because it comes on this kind of dainty little tiered tray and everything's so small and cute that, you know, you could eat the whole thing and still want more, but I, it, it will slow you down. I mean, it will fill you up. So, um, yeah, and, and it really is, you know, there's very, very fancy places to go in this city for tea. There's, you know, much more casual, just kind of any kind of bakery or tea room would just, you know, have something on offer. You can order a pot of tea and then oh. something sweet or something savory to go with it. And yeah. Well, I just love this idea. I think this would be the perfect meal for me because I often, in a restaurant, I would love to order, say, four or five appetizers mm-hmm. and, and not even the full appetizer size, but mm-hmm. like half size appetizers. And it sounds like that's what you're getting. You're getting, you know, you could have little bite size. That way you could try the um, tomato and cheddar sandwich and the smoked salmon and cream cheese sandwich and the pickle and cheese, you know, and you get just tiny little bites of everything and tiny little bites of dessert. I just love that idea. I love the words clotted cream. I want you to <laughs> make a note to yourself. I won't put you on the spot today, but I would like to discuss that in further detail because that just sounds fabulous to me. 
It and I want it. to know more. Well, and so tea also, for a little historical perspective, tea was um, popularized by Queen Victoria, as so many things were actually, she can take credit for. And it was like a snack originally as a snack. She was, you know, in the four o'clock kind of later afternoon, she wanted some tea and a little cake. And we're going to talk um, in some upcoming episodes actually about a dessert that is attributed to her that was is a tea time favorite. But um, exciting. Yeah, okay. it's um, it's it's a great tradition. It's just a nice, you know, and for someone like me who's not a coffee person, it's just so nice to go anywhere and get a good, good cup of tea. So that is, you know, so nice. Perfect. Well, you you are definitely living in the right place. And when I come visit, um, would it be gauche if I ask for coffee at tea? No. <laughs> do they do that? So, so, so for example, my kids and I were at tea um, the other day, and they will often offer the children um, a, an option besides tea. So my son had okay. hot chocolate. My daughter does like tea, so she had that. But, um, you know, I've never been with someone that ordered coffee, though. So... <laughs> I would I wouldn't want to embarrass you, but start scoping that out. Just seeing if you see if you notice at like a, a nice little silver pot of something else coming to the table. <laughs> yeah, I well, thanks do a for that run. update. Yeah, do a dry run. <laughs> thanks for that update. I love the globe trotting gourmet, and I am keeping my eyes open for um, British baking things that intrigue me as well. Oh so. yeah, well keep sending me those pictures. I'll, I'll try to do some research. So, and it won't be the last that and anybody has heard of the globe trotting gourmet. So much more oh, updates no. to come. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we tackle a big batch bake that's perfect to portion out for snacks and lunches, sugar cookie bars. Our great theme music is by Anne-Marie Russell featuring Nathan Eklund on trumpet. You can find Anne-Marie's music on her website, annemarierussell.com, as well as on Amazon and iTunes. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on our Facebook group, and Pinterest. And you can download us on Google Play or Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review, both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.